Imagine with me that God is thinking about your life right now. And he is. So it's not a hypothetical imagining. God is always thinking about you. So he's looking at you as he is. What does God make of it? What does God make of your life right now? And specifically what I'm asking is, what does God make of the priorities you have in your life? What you're living for, what does God make of that? What does God think you're living for? And when God thinks about you right now, do you think God is after the same goals that you are pursuing or not? God look at you and say, yeah, she is living for exactly what's on my heart and that's what I want her to live for. Do you think God is after the same success that you are chasing in life? These are important questions, aren't they? Because we are believers. I'm asking this question because this, this evening we are looking at a passage we started looking at this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 80. This is a prophecy of Zechariah concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist, his forerunner. And we learned that this passage actually answers another crucial question that we increasingly tend to ask during the Advent season, during this Christmas season. And the question we increasingly ask is, what is the priority for us this Advent season? How does God expect each one of us to respond to the coming of Jesus in the world. How are we meant to engage with Christmas? That's the question we're asking this morning. And it's a question we're asking this evening. And as we are looking at this prophecy, we say this prophecy does give us the answers. Right? In fact, the whole Bible does give us the answer. Uh, but particularly this prophecy gives us the answer. And there are two answers actually it gives us. It says the first response to the coming of Jesus we should have is to praise God that Jesus has come to free us from evil because of his faithful mercy to us. So the first P, as it were, is praise. And we looked at that this morning, didn't we? We, this, we looked at the two reasons we should praise God for. First of all, we should praise God that Jesus has come to free us from, his, from, to free us from evil. And he has come to free us because of his faithful mercy. This evening we'll look at the second response we are meant to have. And that is proclaim. We are meant to proclaim. We are meant to proclaim the truth that God has come in Jesus to serve his people by his mercy. So we are meant to praise God and we are meant to proclaim this truth to people around us. When we step back and we look at this prophecy, we see that Zechariah is not only praising God for coming to us in Jesus, he is actually being used by God as his prophetic megaphone to shout out to everyone that God is fulfilling his promise to serve his people by raising his, uh, the son of Zechariah, John, to prepare the people of Israel through the proclamation of Preaching, as it were, through preaching the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. So those are the two dimensions. Zechariah is praising God and is proclaiming the truth of God. In fact, when we step back and just look at it, 
we see that he's teaching us that God serves his chosen people by using his saved people to lead his unsaved people to Jesus. The core of Zechariah's song is that God is now at work to serve sinners and he wants those he has already served to proclaim this salvation to sinners, to all, right? Uh, so when you think about what does God want for you this Christmas, right? What is God after? What is God's priority for you this Christmas? Well, this Christmas God wants you to praise him for Jesus and he wants you to proclaim Jesus to the world, to your family members, to your neighbors. That's his priority for you this Christmas. If you're doing anything else this Christmas, you're not doing that. You are not doing what God is after in your life. He wants you to proclaim his son. And here are three truths I just want to share with you. I'll run through this uh, pretty quickly, actually. Um, Hopefully, here are three truths about our great salvation in Jesus that God wants us to, to share to each other in our homes, at work, and to our neighbors. Let's run through them very quickly. First of all, God wants us to proclaim his plan of salvation. God wants us to proclaim his plan of salvation. That's the first P. His plan of salvation. A, a couple of years ago, I found myself watching a, a film documentary about, about Star Trek fans. Right? I love a bit of Star Trek. Right? And, I st- and I was interested um, about this documentary. Now, <laughs> in fact, Brother Michael has given... I have a key ring from, from Brother Michael with... The, Star Trek, I guess we are both Trekkies, brother, aren't we? Now, for those shockingly, shockingly, not familiar with the program, Star Trek is a science fiction TV series that, allow, that follows the futuristic experiences of the Starship USS Enterprise and this crew in the 23rd or is it the 24th century. They, they seem to change it every time I see it. Now, I, of course, I will not ask for a show of hands on how many have watched more than one episode. Of Star Trek. But what is clear is that, whether you like it or not, Star Trek is a multi-billion dollar industry, thanks to its millions of devoted fans. You see, for some people, Star Trek has become their way of life. They organize conferences, and they even hunt for Star Trek memorabilia on every continent. It's all on this documentary, you see. I think it's still on Netflix. Some of them dress all day like Klingons, Romulans, Vulcans and living against the bomb, right? As I was watching this, I thought to myself, why are people drawn to such fantasy stories like Star Trek? And actually, there's a similar documentary about Star Wars fans as well. Why are people drawn to such things and become obsessed with them? Well, I think these programs are trying to meet a desire in our hearts to become part of a larger story. One female Star Trek fan who lives in Milton Kings, was interviewed by one of the newspapers. She said this. She said, Star Trek is a hope for a better future. One led by reason and kindness and doing the right thing, she said. We, are, we all hope for the same thing in our way, in our own way. What she's saying is that there is something inside each of us, a desire for something more, a, a craving to be part of something better than our current existence, a a longing for rescue. In other words, all of us are actually searching for salvation 
Every human being is. Every human being is looking to be saved. And what a great opportunity then you have as a believer. You are not trying to sell them something that they, are, they, they, they don't want. They already want to be saved. What you need to do is to point them to how they can be saved. Every human being is on the quest to find our ultimate purpose in life. We are looking at the brokenness of life and we are asking, where can I find hope beyond the present? Where can I find a reliable plan of salvation? Well, the Bible is the manual for life, isn't it? And in this prophecy, God gave Zechariah, the old priest turned prophet, reveals to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the plan of salvation. The only way for each one of us to have meaning and purpose in life. Zechariah reveals it here. Uh, In verse 68 to 69, Zechariah starts um, with God, actually, as the origin of salvation. You see, true salvation does not start from us. Uh, We can't save ourselves. We need God to save us. And it's so important we remember that. There are a lot of people at the moment... Who are, who are realizing something has gone wrong in our society. But they are still looking to man to do things right. I was watching the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, ACK, isn't it? They listened at a conference, and great people, you know, Jordan Peterson and the like, and, and Philip Pastrude, who's a believer as well. And, and, and they're, 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 they're trying to call our civilization back to the better story, as they call it. The story, of course, of Christendom. The fact that we have had a Christian heritage. But it's still calling people to really just some Christianized humanism. It's a vision of the divine without Jesus. Now, that's man trying to save himself. That's man trying to create the world of salvation in his own image. We can't save ourselves. We need God, we need specifically Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, to save us. You know, Augustine prayed to God, You have made, Augustine of Hippo, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Augustine was reminding us, isn't it, that there really is a God shaped whore in our hearts, despite the abuse by televangelists. They are right still. There really is a God-shaped awe inside every human heart. And the good news, says Zechariah here, is that God has come to serve us. He has a plan to serve us. And this plan is now in motion. And it involves God himself coming down to serve his people. Let's read verse 67 to 69 again. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. We said this morning that Zechariah here is describing a spiritual salvation from sin that will one day culminate in a material salvation, in a removal of the presence of or evil. And in verse 70 to 73, Zechariah proclaims that this is not a new idea that has simply popped up in God's earth. Actually, this is all part of God's long-established master plan revealed long ago. That is the heart of this prophecy. It is that God isn't just deciding now to serve us. 
He has been at work in history. Look at verse 17. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. In verse 74 to 75, Zechariah goes on to remind the people listening that God's plan of salvation is for his people to live with God in holiness and righteousness forever. We read on, don't we? That we, being delivered, verse 74, from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's God's master plan. Spiritual salvation that results in total salvation, in spiritual and material salvation in the end, as God comes to make all things new. But Zechariah is not finished here proclaiming the plan of salvation. Have you noticed in verse 76 to 79, he applies then this salvation plan to the baby whom we imagine Zechariah is holding in his hands, his son. He says that John is part of this plan of salvation. He's, what the guy is doing really is he's speaking the plan of salvation over his son. He's declaring that John has been appointed to be part of it. Look at verse 76 to 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. By the way, before I, before I just say what Zechariah is saying here, I, I, when I read these verses, I was really challenged for a different reason. Because what we have here, this is just a, uh, this is a bonus point. <laughs> what we have here is a parent speaking the word of God over his child. I was so challenged by that. Dads, this is what God expects of us. Filled with his spirit. Directing our children with the word of God. And the same is true for moms as well. What are they, what modeling? Are you speaking the word of God into the life of your children who are under your roof? That's the biblical definition of your children. This is your primary responsibility. If you do anything, this is what you must do. Hold the baby metaphorically. Speak the word into them. And we need to repent of that, don't we? That we don't do this enough, beloved, as parents. We are not speaking the word. We're too busy. We are not speaking the word into the lives of our children. Uh, we are not learning from Zechariah to do that. So that's a bonus point. We need to repent of that. But what is Zechariah saying? Zechariah is saying to John, God is about to be born, he says, and walk among us. And you, my child, have been chosen to be his PR agent. You, you, your, your job is to point people to him, he said. Now, of course, listen, now, of course, listen to me. Um, 
Baby John cannot understand any of this. And you might say it's never too early to speak actually the word of God into the life of your children. After all, <laughs> this particular child is filled with the Holy Spirit, isn't it, from birth? But let's assume he can't understand what he's saying. And that's important. I think we are meant to, to assume that. And so we have to assume then that what Zechariah is saying is largely for the benefit of the many people who have come to visit. He's saying, he's declaring to them, God is on the move, friends. He's on the move to serve his people. His wonderful plan of salvation is being fulfilled and we need to be ready to be part of this. My baby, my baby is already part of this and you need to be ready to be involved in it. So when we think about this passage, we are seeing that God here is using Zechariah to proclaim to sinners that have gathered who need to be served that God has a plan to serve them and that this plan is being fulfilled. And this is the first point I want you to take in here. The words of Zechariah are teaching us that God saves sinners by using his people to declare his plan of salvation to his unsaved people. The gospel, at the heart of it, is a plan of salvation. And we need us to proclaim that this Christmas. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. God wants us not only to proclaim the plan, but to proclaim, God wants us to proclaim his person of salvation. Plan, then secondly, person. The work of God of serving sinners is not simply a plan. Salvation is a person. The message of the Bible is not about formulas or ideas. It is about a person. And this person is the Lord God himself who has come to us in the Lord Jesus. Our salvation is God himself, God writing himself in the pages of human history to draw us to a personal and direct relationship to him. Christianity is different from everything else for many reasons, and, but fundamentally because it is about a person. God himself coming to serve us. And we see this wonderful truth throughout this hymn of praise, isn't it? For example, in verse 68, which we've read already, Zechariah proclaims that God himself has come to serve his people. Don't miss that. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For what? For he has visited, we looked at that this morning, what that meant, and redeemed, he has come to rescue his people. It is God himself doing it. In verse 69, Zechariah goes on to say that God has come to be our king, putting on our human flesh through the horn of salvation, who is the descendant of David. And he says there, isn't it? And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What Zechariah is saying to us is this. This is what God had foretold in the Old Testament, that one day he's going to rule over his people as their king. In fact, those of you who have been coming to the Bible studies on Wednesday, I have actually been amazed as, we've been, as, I, as I was looking at this passage, how much the Lord has been preparing us for the same truth. Literally, everything I'm saying here, we have been talking about it for the last two, three weeks in Bible study on, on, on Wednesday here. Those of you who have been coming to the Bible study on Wednesday will know that we've been, we, for example, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15 to 17 says this, the Lord has taken away 
the judgments against you, he has cleared away your enemy. How? Well, the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will say, Well, this Lord God has come to us in Jesus, Zechariah said. In verse 76, Zechariah underlines that this person of Jesus who is coming to rule us is God himself. It is one of the most clear passages attesting to the divinity of Jesus. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Right? Zechariah is saying, baby John has been appointed by God to go ahead of God, the Most High, before he shows up. How do I know? Because the phrase, you will go, is one word in the Greek. What does it mean? It means going before another in sequence or in a queue. That's what it means. That's what the original word means. John is going to go, right? Like we queue up at at, at St. Bridge, you know, the checker. God is going to go first. No, John is going to go first. Then God will follow in the queue. That's what, that's what he's saying. But the person who's following is the most high. But then we know the identity of who's following, don't we? Is the Lord. Christ the Lord. John is going in front of the line and God is following up. And this God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just another prophet or special messenger appointed by God. Zechariah is saying the Lord Jesus is Yahweh himself appearing in person to serve. There are so many passages you can take the Jehovah's Witnesses to, isn't it? And John has a task, doesn't he? And the task is described for us in 77 to 79. What is John's job description? Well, verse 77 tells us to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, you could have an entire sermon just on those verses. Remarkable verses. But just for the sake of this evening, keeping it short, what Zechariah is saying to his son John is that your job will be to point people to Jesus, the person of salvation. God has called you to proclaim to people that they are sinners and that they need their sins to be forgiven by the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. You need to preach about the sinfulness of their sin, Zechariah is saying, and their desperate need to escape the judgment of God through repenting of their sins by trusting in the one to come, the Lord Jesus Christ who has come. You need to tell them that the answer to their predicament is not ideas, it's not philosophies, but in finding refuge in the horn of salvation, in this God in the flesh. And in verse 80, Luke underlines that this prophecy came true. God not only raised John for this task of pointing people to Jesus, he prepared John for it. Look at verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. And we'll meet him in chapter 3. The prophets came true. 
Verse 67 to verse 80, when we step back, is reminding us that the central message of the Bible is that salvation does not come from ourselves or from some super religion or from a great scientific formula. No, true salvation comes from God's action of sending His Messiah at a particular place in a particular time and through a particular person. That's what He is teaching us here. And this person is God himself who was put on humanity as the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's the rising sun, the Emmanuel. He who is now God with us. And you know, as we stand back and as we stare further into the horizon of history from this moment, right? We see that this Jesus grows up and he dies a shameful death on the cross among criminals. You see, the good news of the Bible is that right there on that cross, fasted to that Roman cross, the shocking truth is that right there, fasted to the Roman cross, is the most high God dying for your sins and mine in the person of Jesus. God in Jesus died on the cross to take on himself all the filth, all the rottenness of our sin. He died the death we deserve in order to give us new life with him. So Zechariah is teaching us that this is what we are meant to proclaim, right? God saves sinners by using his saved people to declare Jesus the person of salvation. Right. We are meant to proclaim that. So two things so far God wants us to proclaim. He wants us to proclaim what? The plan of salvation. And secondly, God wants us to proclaim his person of salvation. Well, the third P is obvious. What's the third P? Right? Well, the third P is this. God wants us to proclaim. It's there in the, in the text. God wants us to proclaim his peace of salvation. The purpose of proclaiming God's plan of salvation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is that his self people can live with peace. Shalom. Irene. In the Greek. Zechariah says in verse 70, 76, 79 that God has raised John the Baptist, right? To point the people to the Lord Jesus Christ because the people need it, don't they? In verse 77, the problem people have is that they are sinners. Did you see that? They are sinners. They need their sins forgiven, right? That's the problem people have. And, and John has come to declare their sin to them so that they can repent and be forgiven. In verse 79, Zechariah is clear that the problem is actually much bigger than simply the people of Israel needing their sins forgiven. Do you see that? The problem is that they are living in what? In darkness. Did you see that in verse 79? To give light to those who sit in darkness. Darkness is the problem they've got. And they're in the shadow of death. The land has not just gone dark. We are told this is a land in which people live in the shadow of death. And you know what? When I thought about these words, these words, the land in the shadow of death, you're thinking, what is he saying here? There are many ways you may look at it. And there are echoes of other passages. You may think, is this Psalm 23 type situation? The phrase is there, isn't it? But I think the passage that Zechariah probably 
God has laid on his heart is Psalm 107. Um, a wonderful psalm, isn't it? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Psalm 107, for me, came to mind, right? Because it's so exact. And I think this is the idea of, this, of Psalm 107, particularly verse 10 and verse 11, is exactly, I think, what Zechariah has in mind. If you're going to understand that phrase and why he's used it, I think we have to go to Psalm 107, verse 10 to 11. It's on page 506 in your pew Bible. And it says this. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Okay? Prisoners in affliction and in irons. They are suffering and they have no freedom. Why? For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down and with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bones apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. What we have in in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, is that they are like the people in Psalm 107, right? The people of God during the time of Zechariah are sitting in darkness. They are in the shadow of death, right? And what Zechariah most likely has in mind is that the people of Israel are living in affliction. They are lacking freedom because of their sin against God, as I said this morning. They, are rebe- they lack physical freedom because they, are, they don't have spiritual freedom. Their rebellion against God has robbed them of shalom or true peace or irony, as he calls it in verse, uh, in verse 79 there. And the good news is that God has come in Jesus to bring peace. That's the point. Christmas is about God bringing peace into the world. It's worth reading verse 76 to 79 again, isn't it? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, I've told you where this has come from in the Old Testament. I've hopefully helped you see how it relates to what Zechariah is saying. But here's the thing that you need to really understand about the image conveyed here. The image Zechariah gives here is that Israel uh, is an image from the ancient world. And it's like this. It's like it's that Israel is like a group of people, right? As they used to do in those days, traveling in a caravan. They are in some sort of convoy, right? And they are heading to their destination, perhaps Jerusalem or something like that, right? But along the way, they have strayed from their true path, right? They have now found themselves lost and in danger in the wilderness. And in their lost situation, darkness now has fallen on them, right? 
Death seems inevitable because why? There are bandits and animal predators on the way. But God in his undeserved mercy, right? Has sent a new and unexpected light to shine on them from on high. Think of this as the sun shining at midnight. That's what God has done. It's sort of expected, but it's unexpected because it's messy, right? And so this midnight sun, Jesus, has come. And this sun has now defeated the dangers and the fears they have been experiencing. The people are no longer terrified, Zechariah is saying. And most importantly, now that the sun has come, right, they can now gather themselves to find the path of life and peace. Their souls are now indeed filled with peace again, aren't they? As the midnight sun now shines, right? And Zechariah is saying, that midnight sun is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to bring peace into our lives. He has come to give light to us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our peace into the world. To, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus has come to chase away the shadows so that we can now walk as children of God, as children of day, we might say. Renewed by the new peace with God and the peace of God in us. As one of the hymn writers says, He chaseth away the terrors of night. I'm sure the hymn comes to your mind. And notice here that Jesus is guiding us into the way of peace, right? But the way of peace is Christ himself. He is the one who brings peace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is peace. He enables us to have peace with God and the peace of God in our hearts. So Zechariah in this passage is proclaiming to us, isn't it? The peace of salvation that flows from what? God's plan of salvation through the person of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah is proclaiming this peace directly, right? It's important we understand that. He's proclaiming this act. But he's also prophesying that John will do the same. John will proclaim to people. He will point to people. He will point Jesus to people, right? He will do that. And he will point people to Jesus, right? He does both, doesn't he? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Zechariah is reminding us then, isn't it, that this is what we're meant to do. That's why he's modeling for us. God saves his people by, re- by using his people, right? God saves his chosen people by using his saved people to declare the plan, person, and peace of salvation to his unsaved people. And our mission this Christmas is the same. We are meant to be like Zechariah and his son John. We are meant to proclaim the plan, person, and peace of King Jesus. How are you doing with that? Already? Are you sharing, proclaiming already the plan, person, and peace of Jesus? When did you do that last? Now I know some of you here are living to proclaim Jesus. You know that the coming of Jesus is great news in the world. And you want others to hear it, don't you? 
When you see your neighbors who reject Jesus, you, your, your heart is grieved. Your heart is genuinely grieved. I know that. I know some of you love Jesus and you, you know Jesus loves them, but they are rejecting him and it grieves you, doesn't it? When you're talking to your friends, King Jesus is on your mind and you are asking God as you speak with your friends at work or, or, or wherever God has placed you, you're asking God for wisdom and opportunity to share, to proclaim Jesus with them. I know some of you, as you sit here, you're on your knees pleading with King Jesus, pleading before King Jesus for boldness and courage to talk to your unbelieving neighbors, to your unbelieving family friends. Well, family and friends, right? And I know some of you are sacrificing leisure time and money to... Support organizations that are seeking to make a difference in the world, that are seeking to proclaim Jesus. And some of you are sacrificing time and money to invite non-believers in your home. You have put your home not to invite church friends. You are inviting those who don't know him. You want people to come to know Christ. Some of you are seeing people in the church that are trusting in Jesus, but their faith is unsure. And you're thinking, how can I find more time to get alongside them to be a bridge that points them to Jesus? Doing all those things, beloved, is costly. I don't just mean money. It costs us time. It requires a, a, a heart that loves Jesus. And, and as you do that, it's costing you, doesn't it? And you know, often when we do things like that, we do not see the result of our labor of love. And that can be very discouraging, isn't it? When, you, when you're trying to share Jesus in your home and it's not working, and you may just feel like giving up. But this passage is here to encourage you, isn't it? It's saying, keep pressing forward in proclaiming Jesus. You are actually doing what God wants you to do. You are proclaiming the plan, the person, and peace of salvation. This is God's priority for your life, and you're doing it. And praise the Lord for that. So be encouraged. If you're doing this already, press on. And maybe God has brought you this evening just to encourage you to press on with that. And perhaps a special word to parents, particularly again as we are, we are looking at the passage in which a father is proclaiming the plan, person, and peace of salvation. Carry on, beloved. Moms especially, keep on proclaiming the plan, person, and peace of salvation to your dear children. And arrange their life, everything about them, to be about that. Let this be at the heart of every single decision you're making for them. You can be sure it was at the heart of everything he was doing that Zechariah was doing for John. We proclaim with words and we proclaim with action, isn't it? So carry on doing it. Now I know there are some of us here who want to proclaim Jesus to others. You want to see people come to know Jesus and, and if you're honest... Uh, you did not share him. <laughs> you can't remember the last time you did it. Really, seriously, proclaiming Jesus to others. You want to, but you're struggling. 
Why is that? Why, why, why are you struggling with that? Well, maybe you just feel out of depth. Maybe it's just fear of man. Mostly it's fear of man. In fact, probably all of it is fear of man. It's two things. Fear of man and lack of love for Jesus. And the third thing is you don't love people enough. But at the core of it, I'm sure it's not the love issue. It's the fear issue. There are other reasons, but I think fear is the issue. Well, if fear is your issue, then look closely at verse 67. What does he say? And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And then glance again at the rest of chapter 1. And as you glance again at the rest of chapter 1, there's one person you see constantly. And the person, which person am I thinking of? The Holy Spirit, isn't it? In verse 15 is, is the preaching power that will accompany John the Baptist. In verse 35 is the agent of creation that prepares the womb of the Virgin Mary for Jesus. In verse 41 is a spirit of knowledge that enables Elizabeth to discern that baby John has moved in the womb at the entrance of Mary in Elizabeth's home. And here in verse 67 is the power that enables Zechariah to proclaim the plan, person, and peace of salvation. What Luke is reminding us is that, beloved, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Luke is Trinitarian. He's reminding us that we are not without help. The Bible is clear. The same Holy Spirit who lived in this sense now lives in every regenerate believer to help us do what? Proclaim Jesus. Now, we are not Mary. We need to read the scriptures carefully. We are not Mary. We are not Elizabeth, we are not John, we are not Zechariah. The Holy Spirit worked in them in unique ways. But the Holy Spirit has been promised to be with us as we share Jesus. That's Acts 1 verse 8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Since Pentecost, no Christian has an excuse. Yes, they had unique gifts that were unique for them. But the same Holy Spirit who lived in... The whole point, by the way... What is the book of Acts about? One way you could summarize the book of Acts is simply this. The same spirit who lived in Jesus lived in the disciples. That's the whole point of the book of Acts. is to say Christ, the spirit accompanied Jesus and is now carrying on that work through the disciples. And so as we sit here this evening, there's no excuse for not being able to proclaim Christ. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us Right? Who is enabled to help us. Of course, the Holy Spirit work differently in the life of Jesus than he worked in us. Jesus Christ was sinless, he's got the Son, and so forth, right? He worked differently than the apostles because they were appointed for a specific task. But he's the same spirit at work in us to enable us to carry on the mission of proclaiming Jesus. So if you want to proclaim the coming of Jesus this Christmas, but you feel fearful or out of depth, or even if you feel like you're lacking love, well, what are you supposed to do? Go to the Holy Spirit. Cry out to Him to fill you with love and to fill you with boldness to proclaim it. And remember that God has already given you other help. Hasn't it? Beloved, I love as we've been going through this chapter 1 because we've seen the help God has given these people who are already so gifted. John was given Zechariah. Born with the Holy Spirit from born with the Holy Spirit from the womb, John was. He still needed godly parents. He needed 
These people from the priestly line. Who do you think taught John during the wilderness years? It is Zechariah. Mary. Oh, wonderful Mary. Still needed Elizabeth. She had Elizabeth. Elizabeth, godly woman, had Mary. Do you get the picture here? God does not expect you to proclaim Jesus alone, right? The kingdom of God advances through community. We are your family here in Jesus. And Jesus has therefore given you um, to this fellowship to help this fellowship pray and partner with you. To give you the help you need and you to give the help to others. And you need to do this while being held accountable. Jesus sent his people two by two. Why? Because we need to be in community. So you have all these amazing provisions. The community of God. The Holy Spirit, right? And so there's no reason for you this Christmas not to proclaim the coming of Jesus. Not to proclaim the plan, person, and peace of salvation. And so if you are discouraged, you have those provisions. And of course, the means of grace. And finally, just say, I know there may be someone here, sadly, who has no desire to proclaim Jesus. Oh, you hear sermon after sermon, friend, and you still have no desire to proclaim Jesus. There's always an excuse on why Jesus is not a priority in your life. All of this that I'm talking about feels perhaps to someone here irrelevant and boring. I don't know what the state of each of your hearts is. Only God does. But what I would say is this. If you have no desire to proclaim Jesus, if what I'm saying doesn't strike a chord in your heart, if all of this feels irrelevant and boring, then the question for you, beloved, is very simple. Are you truly converted? The Holy Church, Father John Chrysostom said, I cannot believe in the salvation of anyone. Anyone who does not work for his neighbor's salvation. He was right. One of the marks that you belong to Jesus is that you not only speak to God, but you also desire to tell others about how wonderful and lovely Jesus is. The person who does not have any desire to tell others about Jesus has not experienced what it means to be forgiven of their sins. She does not love Jesus intimately and therefore she has no desire to tell her, I mean, our others how amazing Jesus is. Because she does not know his love. She does not think hell is a real place of unspeakable torment. She is not in a hurry to tell others to flee from his terrible wrath because she hasn't sensed that. She cannot speak about the danger of sin because she has not felt its true weight and need to be saved from it. In short, she's not yet born again. And our churches, sadly, are full of many people in that position. And so I ask you this evening, as you hear this, do you have any desire to proclaim Jesus to others this Christmas? If the answer is no, then you know what? Actually, I have good news for you. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And he wants you to be saved right now from the terrible situation you're in. Because you are currently far from God and heading for eternal punishment. 
Though your life in this world seems successful, the truth is that you are riding a plane without a pilot, which will only end in everlasting disaster. But King Jesus is full of love and mercy. He doesn't want you far from him. He wants you to enjoy life with him in his kingdom forever. So come to him this evening. Accept that your good deeds are like filthy rags. Accept that only the death of Jesus can rescue you from death. Beg for his mercy. Ask Jesus to save you from sin. This very moment, as I said this morning, you will be free from the grip of sin and Satan. You have a new heart and you welcome you into his kingdom. And you know what? He's going to give you a brand new desire to proclaim it. Everyone who encountered Jesus and was changed by Jesus was excited about Jesus. And so I encourage you today to reflect on that. And so then to conclude, just remind you, what have we learned today? Today, how should we respond to Christmas? Well, two things, isn't it? Praise, praise for what? Well, this morning we say praise for what? Jesus has come to free us. From evil. That's we should praise him. Praise why? Because Jesus, oh Jesus, is a king full of faithful mercy. And we thought about, oh lovely Jesus, how wonderful and gentle he is. He has come with such wow, heart-filled mercy. That's enough for us to praise him. The, third, the second thing we should do is proclaim him, isn't it? What are we meant to proclaim? Three things we've seen this evening. Let us proclaim the... The plan, the person, and the peace of salvation.